Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today's show is brought to you by Social Media Marketing World 2017, the conference you absolutely need to get to. I am really stoked about today's show. I'm going to be joined by the one and only Pat Flynn, and we're going to explore how to build a loyal and, dare I say, even raving fan base in very unconventional ways. You're going to love this show. And by the way, Happy New Year! Woo! I wish I had sound effects of people, you know, um, blowing those weird things at, at Happy New Year's parties and stuff like that. But I wish you and yours a wonderful 2017. I thank you so much for joining me on this journey in 2016. And by the way, if you want to reach out to me, just a reminder, podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Come straight to my inbox. And now I'm really excited to introduce something brand new to the podcast. If you attend enough conferences in the marketing world, you'll hear the last speaker of the day slip in the same apologetic line to the audience almost every time. I know I'm the one standing between you and drinks. This sentiment and the knowing smiles and nods from the audience all imply one collective understanding. The day is over. You know the feeling, I'm sure. You can take a deep breath, release any tension from furiously taking notes or handing out business cards all day, and get ready to party. However, for an event planning team, the day is far from over. In fact, pulling off a party, scratch that, a great party, takes just as much work as the stuff at the event that felt like, well, work. So how does it really go down? What kind of stress and ups and downs do you encounter? And how do you get a group of people to work through all that? And in the end, what does it take to create not an average party, but an exceptional experience? I'm Jay Akunzo, and today we're going behind the scenes with the making of Social Media Marketing World 2017. So here's an obvious question to get us started. Have we ever considered why we have parties at events in the first place? According to Michael Stelzner, the founder of Social Media Examiner, people come to conferences for the content, they come back for the relationships that they make. And to make sure that those relationships actually happen. First and foremost, you have to find a place that fits kind of the culture and ethos of the event. Parties at events are pretty ubiquitous, but almost as commonplace is the way people execute on their parties. You get a bar couple of free drink tickets per person, you throw the attendees in the room and jack the music. Big lights and big sound is a mask for the lack of quality behind an event or a lack of interaction or a lack of people knowing each other. But I want to be able to have a wow effect without big lights and big sound. I want to be able to create an environment where people can come together and truly interact with each other and not have to compete with the music. The mandate is simple but hard make the party an exceptional experience. Unfortunately, during the planning process this year for the 2017 event, Michael and his team found themselves dancing dangerously close to average. So um, we went to this place and they told me, okay, 
it's under construction, so you got to look past that. So we walk into this place, and we hear the, you know, of drills and everything like that. And I look around, and there's these wood walls everywhere. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is going on? To make matters worse, they told the team that they could fit four to 500 people in the venue. And then I noticed the capacity, you know, every... Every restaurant in San Diego has a maximum capacity, and I think it said 280. And I said to myself, there's just no way. And I asked the gal, hey, do you have any, do you have any drawings so I can visualize what this thing is going to look like? No, 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 we don't have any drawings, but I'm sure I can get you, but it's going to be awesome. But so far, awesome is just not the word. Average is, and that's at best. So how do you go from average to exceptional anyway? Well, for starters, you just can't throw a bunch of people at a bar with some drink tickets. You've got to orchestrate the experience from beginning to end. You don't just have people show up and expect that they're going to know what to do. So, for instance, at Social Media Marketing World, a staffer will jump on the bus with you and use a megaphone to describe what you're about to experience. According to Social Media Examiner's event director, Phil Marchand, it takes a ton of thoughtful vetting of venues in ways that, honestly, I was surprised to hear. So we'd come up with a whole bunch of criteria. We'd evaluated probably 20 different venues. Could it have a place where people can be quiet to network? Does the place hold enough people? Can it house multiple types of experiences? You can move through different areas that are quiet and loud, indoor and outdoor. Does it have a weather backup plan? And on and on. Now, one of the big challenges facing the social media examiner team this year was that they had to create wow moments for different types of attendees. And they've set a pretty high bar to get over this year because in the past they've rented a yacht for a thousand people, which would go out on the water in front of the city skyline. That has a wow that's kind of hard to overcome. So for us, we're trying to figure out how do you create a wow but also do something different for those who've been to the event multiple years. This year, the team's idea was to block off several bars all in a row in one area of the city. It'd be sort of a social media marketing world takeover. But as you heard before, well... And I'm trying my best. I'm putting on my smiley face and I'm really trying to say to myself, okay, how could this possibly work? Mike is a very good person for understanding what the user experience is going to be like. And he notices things that I don't notice. And I said to everybody, I said, look, you guys, I got to be honest with you. This is a big fail in my book. I'm seeing a couple nods from some people that are like, yeah, I, I, I see it. And I'm seeing a couple of downward looks on other people's eyes because I can tell that they've been working on this for a long time and, and uh, this might not work out. So how did people on the team feel in that moment? People like Phil and like operations manager Nicole Sloan. It was a little like, uh-oh. Back to the drawing board. So I had a, a mild moment of panic because I'm like, uh-oh, if he doesn't like this one, I don't know if he's going to like the next one. You know, are you crushed? Yes, but I've also learned to try to be objective. From there, they walked to the final venue on the list. The last chance to try and salvage this trip. I said, there is no way that having a party, just like every other event in America where they grab a couple of bars in a downtown city is going to be attractive to our audience. We just got back from a conference that did that and none of us went because we weren't excited about it. I said, this, this, this one better be the one. And as they entered that final place. The whole atmosphere just totally changed. So 
Sure enough, the doors open up. And by the way, this is in a much nicer area of town. So when you're standing outside the front of it, you see these really classical buildings built in the 1800s and there's culture there and you can feel like you're somewhere important. So it turns out that this new venue that we walked into was used, it used to be a bank, a really, really big bank. So we walk into the front of this place and immediately my first impression is really, really positive. When you walk in, it's got a very inviting, warm feeling that makes you immediately say, okay, I'm in a different place. We, we go through this rock passageway, kind of like we're walking through a rock cave, and it ramps up to this second level, and we enter into this space that is amazing. I don't know how else to describe it, but I'll try to describe it in words. Up on the wall are giant projections of the Social Media Marketing World logo. Flyovers taken by drones of, of San Diego. Laser lights are shooting from all over the place. Imagine this big vault that looks like uh, something out of Star Wars and it's all got red lights on it. It's a big vault door that's about six feet tall and about six feet wide. We walk out of the building and um, walk about 20 yards. And I say, okay, everybody, if you could just please stand in a circle. Michael asked people to secretly put up one finger behind their backs if they liked the first set of venues and two fingers if they liked this last one. Then they all revealed their votes together. Everybody put up two fingers and it was unanimous. And I said at that point, okay, we've found our venue. I was super excited um, because we've been, the whole point of some of these events are, you know, we really want to create this great atmosphere and environment for our attendees. And I knew Park was going to have that. I asked Michael what he thought people who attend the party will think. I hope their jaw drops. I hope they say, wow. As for how the team feels now that they think they're on the cusp of creating an exceptional experience, not average, but exceptional. Yeah, you feel a sense of pride, a sense of elation, um, satisfaction that you've done well. I'm happy. So in a world where it's never been easier to achieve perfectly average, how do you know that you've built something truly exceptional? I think when you create an, an experience where people want to film it or they want, to, they want to take a picture of it, then you know that you're doing something right. Make Social Media Marketing World 2017 a part of your story. Visit socialmediaworld17.com, socialmediaworld17.com, register, and experience something exceptional. And now let's transition over to this week's interview with Pat Flynn. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. Today I'm excited to be joined by Pat Flynn. If you don't know who Pat is, he's the founder of SmartPassiveIncome.com, a website dedicated to helping people get started with their business. He's also host of the Smart Passive Income podcast, one I strongly recommend. And his latest book is called Will It Fly? Pat, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. Great to be here. Today, Pat and I are going to explore how he built a very large and thriving fan base, and we'll be talking about how you, the listener, of course, can follow Pat's lead and apply some of this stuff for yourself. So, Pat, um, we met way back at uh, an event in New York, and back then, I believe, you were pretty much a blogger, and Smart Passive Income was your blog. Um, I want to take us back to when you first started the Smart Passive Income blog. 
what year was that? It was about 2008. Is that right? Yeah, that was the later half of 2008. And I had built it specifically because I had just found success with another business that I had started after getting laid off from the architecture world, helping people pass an exam that I had taken as an, as an architect. And everybody just started asking me how I was able to build that site, how I was able to uh, you know, sell study guides and practice exams and everything that I had learned about online business. And even though I wasn't an expert, I was still kind of in it right then. Uh, I had built Smart Passive Income just to share everything I was learning at the time. So it was very much sort of a journey blog and I was sharing Everything, everything from uh, what I had done to build my other business, things I wish I would have done instead, mistakes that I was making, uh, everything that was happening. And I even started to include uh, my income. So sharing line by line how many products I sold, how much money I was making. Just because when I was actually doing research on internet marketing when I first got started, I found a ton of experts out there and gurus who were talking about this stuff. But nobody was – I felt nobody was just being completely honest about it. Nobody was sharing not only the wins, but the struggles. And nobody was sharing, obviously, how much money they were making at the time. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to share it all and see what happens. And immediately after I started posting those income reports, I just started to see people really resonate with it and say, oh my gosh, like, that stuff's really possible. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm doing it too. Like, look, at let, let's do this together and, and I'll help you. And uh, I've just been doing it every month uh, since in terms of the income reports. And it's not just about the money either. I mean, I think some people when they hear I post my income online, they think it's because I'm cocky and I'm just showing off. But that's that's not the case at all. It's to provide inspiration and show it's possible. But also, you know, the numbers are just a small percentage of what that actual income report is. It's very much including the lessons and the things I had wish I had done differently and the big wins and what I've been up to and what I'm planning to do. And so you can actually go back into time on my website and go all the way back to that first income report in October of 2008 and read everyone since. And, you know, it's not always up every month. Sometimes it's down and sometimes it's down massively. And I talk about why. And it's just been a lot of fun to keep people uh, kind of in the loop of what I've been up to. And through that and through leading by example, I think other people have been able to benefit and uh, help themselves with their own business, too. Uh, I founded Social Media Examiner exactly one year later in October of 2009. And uh, it's funny because when you started the Smart Passive Income blog, did you have this grand idea of what it would become or was it meant just to be a place where you documented what you were discovering along the way? It was specifically meant to just document everything. I never planned on turning it into a business or anything like that, let alone you know, writing books related to it or speaking about it or anything like that. Um, I, I had never planned on that. I, it was essentially just a place for me to keep track of what I was doing on my other business uh, at greenexamacademy.com. And uh, it's interesting because after that sort of was on autopilot, then smartpassiveincome.com became more about, okay, well, let's that worked. Let's try something new. And so I've always been sort of experimenting, trying new things, sharing and documenting all the things I've found along the way. And uh, that's that's how I kind of became known as this sort of crash test dummy of online business. Because a crash test dummy, you think about it, you put them in the car seat and you slam them against the wall and then they come back and tell you what happened. And that's all for the betterment of, of those who are going to be potentially sitting in that same driver's seat. So that, that's what I feel like my role is. And if you told me that was going to be my role and I would be become this leader in this space uh, back in 2008, I would have laughed. I'm like, are you serious? Like, there's no way that I could ever be seen as a leader in that way, in that regard. And part of that is because I just had really low self-esteem. I didn't know it was possible, um, but also because I just didn't think that was what I wanted. But it just it just grew into that. And now I'm I'm owning this role and I'm I'm trying to lead by example and kind of start this movement of authentic entrepreneurship where one uh, where where businesses can be very honest with their uh, audience uh, without any reservations and and that sort of thing. So uh, I, I feel just truly blessed because more than anything, more than the money, more than the you know the raving fans, which we'll get into. You know, it's allowed me to build a lifestyle where I can 
literally work from home and be here with my family. And, you know, I've been able to witness both my kids firsts, like all their firsts. And my wife and I both bring our children to school, both pick them up from school. And we get like teachers and parents asking us like, how are you, what do you do? Did you like win the lottery or something? Like, how are you both able to go every single day with your kids? And it's just because of online business and the way that I've been able to, to build that business and, um, in the way I shaped it. So you mentioned, uh, fans and, and I want to, I want to ask you a specific question. At what point in the smartpassiveincome.com journey did you begin to notice that you had fans? Was it the blog comments? You know, when did you begin, quote unquote, seeing that there was a community there? And what did you do to nurture that in the early days? Well, it wasn't just the blog, actually. I had been blogging for a couple of years, and I would get comments like, Pat, love your stuff. Like, keep going. And that just sort of felt normal to me because everybody you know, and at least the circles I'm around, like everybody's pretty encouraging with each other, but I never thought of those people as fans necessarily. It wasn't until I started the podcast in July of 2010. And then I was only producing a show every other week. And then later that year, I had gone to a conference. Uh, actually, it was the same conference that, uh, th- that we had met at uh, just a few years later. And um, people started to come up to me. And remember, I was only podcasting once every other week. They were They were coming up to me and they would have these giant smiles on their faces and they would start talking to me like we've been friends for years. Mm-hmm. And I would have no idea who these people were. Like I, I, they, they would come up to me and be like, oh my gosh, Pat, like, dude, you, you love fantasy football. I love fantasy football too. We'd start talking about fantasy football or people started to know that I was half Filipino. So all the Filipino people at these audiences, uh, at these crowds were coming up to me and like talking to me about my family and stuff. And it was awesome. And it was really fun. And then I'd be like, what's your name? Like, tell me what you do. And it was just really interesting. And, and the, the thing I came home with from that conference was nobody I had spoken to and met in person mentioned the blog at all. Nobody. You know, I want to, I want to pause there for a second because, um, you may not know this, but you are part of the inspiration as to why I started my podcast. I was researching you and a couple of other people, and I started to notice that you had this podcast and a couple other people I knew and respected had a podcast. I'm only four, a little over four years into this journey, so you were a good, I think, two years into it or three years into it before I actually uh, started my podcast. But mm-hmm. um, uh, So thank you, first of all, for doing what you were doing because you've inspired a lot of people. Now, I heard very similar things. I used to go to events, and I would hear everyone say, I love your blog. But then all of a sudden, when I started a podcast, all of a sudden, it was like, I love your podcast. Um, why is it, why do you think that your podcast connected with your fan base so much more than the written word did? Well, I think because people could see that it was more real. I mean, I think with the written word, I mean, you could still get a feel for who a person is and who their voice is and what their values are and whatnot, but it's not until you hear them in person that you can actually imagine them there with you. And the nice thing about podcasts when you think about it is, Literally, like with people listening to our sh- to, to your show right now and us together, I mean, we are in their ears. Mm-hmm. We are having a conversation with them. They just happen to not be able to talk back with us, but they might be having thoughts and things that they would love to say or ask or, or whatever. And it really puts them in there with with us. Uh, and I and I think that's really what it is. And um, and 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 and. and if the interviews are great, like all of yours are, I mean, you go into these amazing paths down a story that, you know, a person may have never told before that they might have not told on a blog post, but because the person interviewing does a good job of getting deeper and deeper, you can get some really golden information and personal stuff that to a person listening on the other end, they can really feel. 
And when a person feels what they are consuming, they are more likely to connect with it. And so that way they are able to connect with us or for my fans for SPI, uh, they're able to connect with me. And another thing that I do is I I am very just myself on my podcast. I mean, it was a struggle at first to start the podcast because I was just no good at being behind the microphone. I lacked a lot of communication skills and it was only through years that, uh, you know, and, and actually getting training and, and things like that, that I've been able to get much better and more confident with my speaking on stage and behind a microphone. Um, but I was just always myself, you know, at the beginning of every show, here's the, what, the one thing I do is actually I have the voiceover guy, uh, which fun fact, is Go ahead the same and throw, us, yeah, throw out his name. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, his name is John Melly. And he is an amazing guy. He does the voiceover for my intros. He does the same uh, for you in a different accent, which is amazing. I get. Uh, I, by the way, on a little side note, I get Australians emailing me all the time saying, "Who's the fake Australian?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. Us Americans, we don't know any different. So they you know. know. Yeah, so they, they know. know. They know. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. So, so John's a great guy. Anyway, I have him read a random fun little fact about me at the beginning of every show it's it's only just a few seconds right in the middle during the music and stuff but it might be like uh, and here's your host pat flynn he or, or here's your host he um he's a sagittarius who loves long walks on the beach pat flynn or here's your host he was a 11 pound 12 ounce baby in that that baby story like that was one that in particular you know that that was one fun fact that he mentioned and i remember going to a, a different conference one time and meeting this woman and she was like really happy. She's like, oh my gosh, are you Pat Flynn? I think we were uh, both coming out of, of uh, the bathrooms at the same time. And she had seen me. She's like, oh my gosh, are you Pat Flynn? And she's like shaking my hand. She's like, I'm sorry, I just washed my hands. And it was really kind of funny. And then we started walking together and talking. She's like, I love your show. And you know what? I had, like she just randomly said this. She's like, when I had my baby, it was also a giant baby. <laughs> now, for, for, for those of you listening to this, you might be like, what, what does that mean? Well, I had mentioned John uh, had once said on my show that I was an 11 pound, 12 ounce baby, which is a giant baby. And she had a baby that was giant also. And so that was like the first thing she connected with. And that was like, oh my gosh, this is this small little fact, but now I'm immediately connected to this person because I can relate. And that's the one thing I've noticed about these little personalizations, even though it's just a few seconds, these little random facts and these fun things that I do, like that I share, um, people really connect with those. And, and and it brings me back to, like if I were to ask all of you to think about the last conference you've been to or the last sort of meeting you were at where you were with people who you've never met before, when you meet those people for the first time, the conversations are always very like, what's your name? What do you do? Where are you from? You know, very surface level. But then the moment one of you shares something that the other person has also done, like a shared experience, you're like, you're best friends and you begin talking about that. Like if you're both parents, you start talking about your kids. If you both went to the same school, you start talking about the different parts of campus and all that sort of stuff. And you immediately bond. And then of course, at those meetings or at those conferences, that's the person who you're hanging out with for a while. And so the same thing can happen on a podcast or on a blog or on a video. Sharing these fun little facts about you really makes a big difference because in this world where everybody's trying to be, uh, you know, the expert or get attention, you know, it's all about the human to human connection. And this is what it really helps you start this kind of uh, the, these kind of experiences that you give people that allow them to become raving fans of you. A lot of times it's just those little tiny things that make all the difference and having them say, you know what? I'm going to follow this guy because because we just we have that in common. Well, and you know, Pat does Pat. You do lots of things on your website. You have a picture of you and your your children and um, and your wife, but it used to be you and one of your kids. And 
and you also walk around with a typically a backpack that says, hi, my name is Pat, or at least you used to. Um, I do. <laughs> the, what do you want to say to the person who's like me and is saying, you know what? I don't know if I want to share personal things about myself in a podcast or in a video because I'm not sure everyone would like that. I mean, because honestly, that's part of the reason I don't do it. So what do you want to say to people like me? I say that that's your choice and that's totally okay. But there are moments in any sort of content that we create where we can put our own voice into something and really take a stand on something too. I think that's another thing. Like a lot of us try to balance our thoughts or, 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 or whatever it is we're writing so we can make everybody happy. And when you do that, you're actually not taking a bold enough stance to actually put a foot on the ground and become a, a true expert and really be somebody who is authoritative. And I think, you know, that is also another way to put yourself behind your brand is to tr- truly be authoritative and put your foot on the ground on certain things that you really believe in. Um, and, and I think that's another way that perhaps leaving the personal side out, leaving your family out. And I, you know, that's just who I am and I'm comfortable with it. And if you're not comfortable doing things like that, that's totally okay. But at the same time, you have to know who you are, what you stand for, why you're here and what it is that you're teaching and really believe in it or else it's just going to kind of be mishmash and people aren't really going to understand it because it's not going to be as strong as it could be. Well, uh, I'm, so I'm willing to give this a try sense. right now. I'm going to share the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me. And this is, this is, <laughs> I was in, I was in high school and I was in the library and I pulled a book off a bookshelf and the entire bookshelf fell backwards. And I was standing there with just the book. <laughs> Dude, I'm imagining this like in a movie. Right and now. this is like in high school, you know, of course, right. Where you don't want to be embarrassed or stand out. So that was the most embarrassing thing that happened to me. Now, if folks, if you, if you can relate to that, you know how to reach out to me. Let me know if you want to hear more of that chaos. <laughs> well, here, here's what I think people should do. I think if, if they like that, like even just hearing that, I mean, I think people are going to laugh about that and smile, but, I, but it would be awesome if people wanted to also contribute and share maybe their most embarrassing story in the comment section. That's a great idea. So I will, at the end of the podcast, mention where you can uh, leave your comments and I would love you all to share your most embarrassing story. All right. Let me get back to you. Um, we mentioned podcasting, we mentioned blogging, but I also know that more recently you've been doing a lot more video as well. I'm just curious, do you find mm-hmm. that video connects more or less than the podcasting? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on the video side of things. Yeah, I think it connects in a different way. I think it connects definitely stronger than a blog would or just text only or even through a book. Uh, but but video is great because obviously people can see you and they're in your environment. I love live video especially because it's very raw, very real. People are seeing you in your element. If you're good on the fly, I mean it really, it really stands out as opposed to super highly produced stuff, which is actually sometimes less effective. So, you know, the Facebook Live stuff, I'm getting really, really excited about. And you can make uh, great connections, but, I, but I've also found that the podcast, uh, it, it has a different way of going about it because when you're watching video, typically it's amongst all these other things that are going on or in and around that video, mm-hmm. advertisements, and you can click here or this other thing that's trying to capture your attention, whether it's on YouTube or on Facebook or wherever else. Uh, with with podcasting, like people are there, they know that they're going to be spending some time with you, sometimes a lot of time with you. Uh, I mean, with this show, you know, between 30 and 45 minutes with my show, sometimes up to an hour and a half, depending on the content. And 
that's so much time to have your brand in a person's ear versus a video, which people aren't going to sit and watch an hour and a half long video typically, um, but they will with a podcast because they're going to be maybe on a commute or at the gym or you know they're doing something else while they're listening to you, and it's just it's just you and them, and yeah. that's that's the other or cool on the part back of, the of a donkey or in a canoe. I mean, believe it or not, I've had those kind of people. Hey, hey whatever tickles your fancy, <laughs> like a donkey, or at the at the front of an aircraft. Uh, carrier uh, or a naval airship, uh, a, na- a naval aircraft carrier. I've had people t- show me pictures. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so, um, all right. So let's dig into some tips because so far what I'm hearing from you is that one way to build a raving fan base is to be your authentic self. That's really what I hear you saying, right? In the case of your income reports, you're sharing what worked, what didn't work. In the case of your podcast, they get to hear you imperfections and all, right? Because, you know, like you mentioned yourself, you know, this is something, a skill that you've been developing over time as far as your public speaking. And in the video, of course, uh, I'll just, you know, say that obviously live video is generally unedited. So, you know, Mm -hmm. something happens, you just got to roll with it. And that kind of thing does make you more human. And I would venture to guess makes you stand out in a world where people are trying to appear perfect to be imperfect is actually an advantage is what I hear you saying. Yeah, because I think people see people who are perceived as being perfect and you just know that, well, that's fake or they're not sharing the whole story. And I think when you are vulnerable, when you open up a little bit, um, you, you, you invite people into your world and you get to say, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect, but nobody is so let's let's kind of just keep going together and just again in a very open honest way people can begin to trust you more even though you might have failed every once in a while you know in terms of being your authentic self I, I don't think that's that's one strategy that's just that's just the foundation you have to be authentic now that doesn't necessarily mean you need to reveal how much money you make every month and I actually wouldn't recommend that for everybody but that strategy in particular the income thing relates to another strategy which is you know op- opening up the doors of your factory a little bit uh, and what I mean by that is a great way to build raving fans is to give people experiences that are not accessible to everybody. And so with the income reports, that's sort of my factory doors opening a little bit and saying, hey, come on the inside a little bit. Let me show you around. Like if you imagine uh, these tours in, at chocolate factories or brewery tours, right? Like there's so much fun, not only because you get to see, you know, the beer being made, but because you're behind the scenes and you get to see the quality of the stuff that's being made, the handcrafted, whatever. And you get to really feel like you come out of that. You, you come out of those experiences feeling like, wow, not everybody gets to see this, right? And so you feel special. And when you feel special related to a particular brand or company, you're going to share that, right? Like when you go to a brewery now and you, you, you're, you're taking photos, if you're allowed to, you're sharing that stuff because you want to show all your friends that you are having this amazing experience that other people cannot. Uh, it's, it's sort of like the secret menu at In-N-Out. Uh, In-N-Out Burger is a burger place here in the, in the West Coast. Um, there's a secret menu. And anytime anybody comes to the, to the, to the West Coast from the East Coast and you're taking them out and you take them to In-N-Out, you always tell them about the secret menu. Why? Because that's something that you know that you have access to that they don't even know yet. So giving people a little bit of that behind the scenes stuff can be really, really fun and, and exciting. And it, again, doesn't have to be your income. It could be something that you're working on, maybe a video that you create that shows your entire team introducing themselves, the headquarters, what it looks like. Um, like I remember you did a video with Chris Ducker where he was showing, actually it was on Chris Ducker's Instagram stories where he was at your office and he was showing behind the scenes. And like, even that was like, well, I'm, I'm like at the office where, where Mike Stelzner her podcast and stuff. And it was so cool. And I know not everybody gets to see that. So, you know, those things also help with making people feel special along the way. And to help people understand why this is, or, 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 or to give another analogy, my 
one of my daughters is a fanatical Star Wars fan. And she watches the making of, you know, on the Star Wars DVDs. Oh, yeah. She watches those more than the actual movies themselves. And I... Anybody who's ever watched how they make a movie kind of stuff can understand how exciting that is because you get to see all the work that goes into producing that two, two and a half hour experience that you had. And um, I think when we think about it from that perspective, because many of us might say, oh, why would anybody care about what we do? Well, Mm -hmm. if you know, it, it is it does make me like a movie more when I can see all the creative work that went into creating it. And I think that's something really very smart. Um, you've got a lot of tips and techniques that we've talked about previously, uh, offline. Um, go ahead. And one of them is, I think you called a moment of activation or small, quick wins. Can you talk about what that is and what that means a little bit? Yeah. I mean, we've been kind of talking about moments of activations already. So these are little moments that you give to people who are first discovering you to make them say, you know what? I like this guy or I like this girl. I want to, I want to pay attention. Um, I should subscribe. I should follow this person. Those are moments of activation. We've talked about, you know, the, the fun little random facts that could be a moment of activation. Uh, we've talked about. So hold on, wait, let me back up for a second. When you say moment of activation, why don't you define what that means first? Just so I understand. It's the moment at which you realize that something is worth paying more attention to. Uh, Like a good story is, um, you know, my wife, she's a huge fan of the Backstreet Boys. And to do research on this topic because it became something that I presented about uh, a while back, um, I asked her, well, how did you become a fan of the Backstreet Boys? And through that conversation, which was literally an hour and a half, (laughs) I realized just – all the little things that had to happen and add up to a point where by the end of the night, she showed me this box, which I didn't even know existed in the house that had all this Backstreet Boy. They're like a, a boy band from the 90s and, and 2000s, uh, all this paraphernalia, like posters and framed images. And she literally had action figures of the Backstreet Boys. It was ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, she told me that her, quote, moment of activation was the time at which she heard a song that. She, she had heard this song many times before, but because she was actually going through a bad breakup with her boyfriend at the time, she was 15, she heard the song, it was, it was called Quit Playing Games With My Heart by the Backstreet Boys, and she started listening to the words, and every single word that they said was exactly what she was going through. That's when she said, I need to pay more attention to this band. And that's another strategy you can use. You really need to understand the language that your audience is using. You know, you could have the best solution in the world for something that your audience needs, but unless you present it to them in a language that actually resonates with them, that they can understand, that is in their sort of wheelhouse, then it won't matter. And so that was her moment of activation. So for you, if you if you have a pain or problem that you're solving, I hope that you are having conversations with your audience, hopefully even by Skype or phone. That's, that's something I do every single month. I try to get on a Skype call with 10 people every single month who are randomly selected on my email list so I can chat with them, so I can hear in their own words, very much interview style like what we're doing right now, what it is that they're struggling with, what's working on the SPI website that they like, what do they wish was there instead or differently. And so that that's another moment of activation. Uh, we, we had also talked about Actually, another moment of activation. Wait, wait, hold on a second. I, hold on a second. I don't want to. I want to. I want to dig a little deeper here. So, yeah, um, you get on the phone with uh, a number of people that are on your email newsletter list, and you just start randomly asking them questions. And what do you what do you learn from that dialogue? And how do you employ that somehow into your messaging? Yeah, you might seem you might be thinking, well, Pat, you you have a large following. Why would you even do this? It's only one person at a time. Uh, you know, I have one hundred and eighty five thousand people on my email list, and to randomly select ten people seems kind of odd, right? But I tell you, 
the information that I've gotten from these conversations is gold. Some of them are very short because people have to go or they just aren't talkers. Other conversations I've had have lasted up to an hour where I'm just digging deep into, okay, well, why did you start following Smart Passive Income in the first place? I think that's always interesting to know. Um, what is something that I've been able to do that has helped you? That's always amazing to know. What's something that you need help with that you feel like I'm lacking in terms of helping you with that? Uh, that alone has been great. Uh, I also, it kind of depends on also what I'm doing sometimes. I did a lot of uh, conversations about the design of my website not too long ago because I was doing a website redesign. So that's one thing. Uh, I also talked to a lot of people about um, creating their first product and actually validating their ideas. And this was right before my book, Will It Fly, came out because I wanted to really understand the language that people were using when they were struggling to start their own business and why they hadn't started one in the first place. And, you know, I could run a survey and I've run surveys before using SurveyMonkey, which is an amazing tool, but to hear it in their own voice and to be able to immediately, when they say something, follow up, just like you're following up with me here in this conversation, you, you were like, dude, Pat, like, let's go deeper with this. I do that all the time on these conversations because you can get to the root of exactly what's going on and those voices stay with you. And, you know, we always hear about, you know, coming up with your customer avatar and, and stuff, you know, the avatar exercise to who your ideal customer is. That, that's a great exercise because then you can understand who your ideal person is that you're speaking to. But if you have a business that's running already, why not just talk to your real audience and stop making up a person that you can't even reach out to and go deeper with, but actually reach out to your existing audience. It doesn't you have to, like I said, 10 people a month. Uh, so two people a week, essentially, uh, two or three people a week. Man, the, the information I get is absolute gold. Well, you know, and, and another, another way you can do this is at an event. I was just at an event in Boston and, uh, I didn't, you know, I just went as an attendee. I wasn't speaking. And a couple people that, um, attended social media marketing world, um, were there and they wanted to meet up with me. And I sat down and I spoke to one of them for like 45 minutes, another one for an hour. And I just asked them questions about what did you like about the event? What are your thoughts Love on it? it? And, you know, I, you got to be careful, of course, right? Because just talking to one person, of course, is going to give you just skewed results. But if you do this consistently enough, you're going to get some great insight that you would not normally get, right? Because generally, people aren't going to give you feedback that is less than favorable. <laughs> Don't you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny when I reach out to people via email, they think it's an automated email <laughs> because they're just on my email list already. And then they can't believe that I actually want to talk with them. Um, but it, 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 in, in terms of getting like the more constructive stuff out of them that could help, I, I really have to dig deep for that. And oftentimes it's it's not very obvious when they say it, but I, I have to kind of weave my way into the things that I could be doing to improve. And so I'll, a lot of times I'll be like, well, what if I did this instead? Would that actually help or make it better? And I get yeses or noes from there, which is fine. But, you know, I have to kind of weave my way. But you, you're right. People want to make sure that, you know, you, people – I've never had anybody be just straight up rude to me. And I don't think anybody would be anyway. But uh, I would love it if people were because then I can really dig deep on uh, on why and what I could do to improve. But like you said, one person alone isn't going to help. So you, you need to make this a practice. And I think every company, every uh, person can benefit from actually having a real-life conversations with with their audience for sure. And, of course, these people, when they see that I'm actually taking the time to talk to them, do you think these people are going to become raving fans of me at some point? Most likely, yes, because they're getting an experience that not most people would get. And it's something that stands out from other influencers teaching the same stuff. What other tips or recommendations so far we've talked about having these moments of activations, um, speaking in their language, um, sharing more, of course, about yourself. What other things have you done to help 
build really raving fans? Yeah, so the, what, the, the easy, one of the easiest things to do, but most powerful things to do is create quick, small wins. And what I mean by that is when a person discovers you for the first time, they're not going to know anything that you have to say. I mean, they're going to read some stuff, they're going to listen to some stuff, and they may or may not stick with you. But if in the first three to five minutes after discovering you, they have something actionable that they can do that will get them any size result, the smaller the better actually, the more likely it is that they're going to continue to come back and come back again. Give us some so examples. This, yeah, okay. So, you know, a real life example would be for me in college, I remember my junior year in my in my spring semester after marching band and architecture studio was over, you know, I had all this time, right? So my, my buddy introduced me to this game. Uh, it was called World of Warcraft. And I knew within Dude, the first I used to play I used to play that game. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> I actually play you? let me rephrase. I used to play Warcraft before World oh, of Warcraft. Warcraft. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It's the precursor so, to actually World of Warcraft. Right. And World of Warcraft is this ginormous worldwide game where anybody can pick a character, be put into this world and whatnot, and actually start interacting with each other in this virtual world, which is really cool. And, you know, there's quests and stuff. But I I knew when I was introduced to this game, I knew within the first five minutes that I was going to be addicted to it. And here's why. It's because in the first five minutes after you pick the character, you get to go on a quest and you get to slay a couple creatures. You get to collect a little bit of gold. But then within three, four minutes, you level up. So you level up from level one to level two, which unlocks certain abilities, which gives you more stronger weapons, which gives you more gold and experience points. And it just makes you feel amazing. And of course, you want to continue to get to the next level and then the next level after that. Um, so one thing I like to do in my business is when people subscribe to my email list, for example, or even on a particular website or podcast episode, I'll do whatever I can to in the first three to five minutes of that experience with me, give them something that they could do really quickly so that they can get an immediate result. Charles Duhigg from uh, The Power of Habit, he wrote, he wrote a book called The Power of Habit. There's a whole chapter dedicated to the, what happens mentally with a small quick win. A person who obtains a small quick win from somebody will continually go back to that person and form a habit because they're getting this amazing feeling, this reward from this person. So they're going to continue coming back. Another example that I have uh, for me being on the fan side of things, I remember when I was first introduced to Ramit Sethi's blog from IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com, a personal finance site that's grown much bigger since then. But uh, back then, I, I kind of was like reading his stuff on and off every once in a while. I wasn't really a big fan uh, for, for uh, until there was this one post that he wrote, which was essentially how to, in 15 minutes, call your cable provider and read a script off and save 20 to 25% on your on your cable bill. Mm. And I was like, what, like really? And I just have to call them and read this thing that you wrote for me and, and do it? So I did it because I was like, okay, I wanna see if this works and I had nothing to lose. And I literally saved 25% on my cable bill and it worked. And I read every single post of his after that. I went into his backlog and read every single post. But that was the moment I was like, man, this guy knows what he's talking about because he was able to, in 10 minutes, save me you know, loads of money by just doing something really quick. So how do you employ this yourself? So uh, I, I've changed this up a little bit because I'm now doing a lot of segmentation on my email list and whatnot. Uh, but one thing I used to do was when I had a main list that everybody would join after subscribing, the first tip that I had, and this is what I would recommend for everybody. I'm doing this right now with my segmented list too. But I would have your very first email go out, not only thank people for subscribing, but give them some quick, small thing that they could do. So one thing that I, that I did, uh, I've, again, like I said, changed this up. But this is what I offered people who subscribed to my list. I said, hey, thank you so much for uh, subscribing to the SmartPass 
passive income blog, by the way, I know one of the biggest struggles you might have is actually trying to figure out what content to create. And I found a trick that will help you. You can do this right now. So here's here it is. Step one, go to Amazon.com. Step two, type in a keyword related to your niche. Step three, look up and find books related to it and then open the cover. There you have a table of contents that is exactly the kind of content that you should write about. You shouldn't copy them, but this is the stuff that you should absolutely be talking about in terms of a category for your stuff on your site. So then I give an example related to fly fishing. So if you go into a fly fishing book, look at the cover, you might see in the table of contents, how to tie a fly fishing fly, places to fly fish, uh, how to fly fish, different kinds of fish. If I'm If I have a fishing website, those are the things I want to be talking about. Now, I won't just copy it and say, oh, here's how to tie a fly. I would do research and make it an, an amazing post, like 10 ways to tie a fly so that you can catch more fish. So you see how the, the table of contents is inspiring different kinds of content I can write. You know, while you're talking, I'm thinking that this podcast actually typically gives people a small quick win every week because we always lead with a little tip of the week or a discovery of the week, which is usually some sort of cool little app that Eric Fisher on our social team finds. And I know a lot of people say they listen to the podcast mostly just to hear that tip of the week or that find of the week. So that's really cool. All right. Um, we're getting near the end here. Do you have any other last suggestions that you want to share specifically? Go ahead. So, you know, a lot of what we talked about is taking people who are kind of just discovering you for the first time and getting them to pay attention to you. The next level up is actually getting them to really form a community with each other. And this is where, you know, the Facebook groups are really important. We're getting, uh, you know, people together on a webinar to converse with each other, for example, or holding real life events, whether online or offline. That's where people start to really become fans of who you are and what you're doing because you're setting up this moment that's going to happen in the future. People get really excited about it and then it happens and then they talk about it and you've given them that experience to not only connect with you and hear from you and not only for them to talk to back to you but they're there with each other and they can form an identity as a fan of who you are and what you're doing so you know with my wife's example you know the Backstreet Boys her, her, her big time moment when really things clicked for her was her first concert with them, right? Because she had it on the calendar three months ahead. Every day she was thinking about it. Like, what am I going to wear? Who am I going to go with? Blah, 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 blah. And then after it happened, it became this thing that she talked about for months and still talks about it, her very first concert. I mean, your events that you put on are amazing. And I know people who are still months later now talking about the experiences that we've had at your event that you put on. And it's obviously going to make us want to come back and visit uh, San Diego again for Social Media Marketing World, which obviously we should all do. I'm there in San Diego too. Mike, obviously, you know, be there because it's awesome. Anyway, uh, creating your own events, little gigs. I mean, that's something that you can do to give people that experience. Uh, and again, it doesn't have to be a big giant event. It could be just a small, maybe it's, it's like a, a planned Facebook live that you, that you end up doing or a Q and a yeah. session. Yeah, I, I was going to say live video is a great way to do that. Like we do our weekly show on Huzza. Which is our, and there's always, we recognize the same people coming every week, like Friar Wade off the top of my head is a guy that comes every week out of Florida, you know, and we know these people and everybody knows them. It's like the cheer song. Everybody wants to know, go where everybody knows their name, right? That's a big deal. (laughs) Oh, totally. Totally. And, and so... Um, yeah, that, that, that's a huge deal. I mean, those, those little events, um, another thing you can do, and this is sort of what really sums it up, uh, is, is offering small surprises. 
um, and, and the surprise part is important. It's it's an unexpected thing for your audience. So as you're building these fan bases, as they're starting to connect with each other, and the, you know they're starting to give themselves a name like fans of, you know, One Direction. They're called the Directioners, or fans of John Lee Dumas are, are called Fire Nation. You know that sort of thing. They begin to start forming an identity with each other. That's when things really start to happen. But truly, what tips it over the top are those random surprises that are completely out of nowhere. And 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 the example I like to share with this is like, say for example, you are. Uh, you know, with your your partner or spouse, every single night you end up saying "I love you" and "Good night" every single night, right? It becomes just this thing that's expected, that's normal, that's routine. But it's that, you know, maybe one day you just decide to surprise your wife and you go to her office at 3:48 on a Tuesday and just bring her, you know, a little d- dessert for her and her friends and just say, "Hey, this was just because." Do you think that part? You think your wife's going to talk about that with her friends? You think your friends are going to be really impressed from you? You think that's something that's going to be remembered? And actually, you know, they always say it's small things that matter. So those random surprises. How can you deliver, you know, a dessert to your audience on a random Tuesday? Uh, and and so obviously that could be that could be anything, and it doesn't have to be huge. But I, I do this very often. I'll uh, write an ebook and uh, just give it away. I won't even ask for an email or nothing. I'll just, hey, guys, this this is for you. Um, sometimes I'll just offer books for free randomly if people are on my book club list. And just I just give away stuff every once in a while. Or I call people up randomly. Or I uh, sometimes I will go and find other people's websites who follow me and start to read their their stuff and actually comment on their sites. You have no idea actually how huge of an impact that makes on somebody's life when they see like an influencer come in and actually read your stuff and, and, and reply to it. Um, it, it makes a huge difference. And again, the, these small surprises, they don't, they don't need any money behind it. They don't, they just need a little bit of time and care and it can really make a, a big impact on sort of the lifelong fan that you could, you could earn from this. Well, folks, as you can tell, Pat's pretty passionate about everything that he does and he has built a massively loyal fan base. Pat, why don't you tell people where they can become part of what you, you you've got going on and where they can experience some of the great stuff that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, you could find me at smartpassiveincome.com. Most of my, my stuff is there. And, and Mike, if you don't mind me spending a minute just kind of wrapping this up really quick yeah, go in terms it. of raving fans and why why is this important? You know, a lot of us and what I'm hearing now in the in the space is, you know, we all want more traffic. We all want more exposure, more traffic, more, more that, right? But I think even before we worry about traffic, we have to worry about what happens when that traffic comes to our website. How can we focus on the people that we do have in our brand and move them up that chain so they, be, they become raving fans? I think we should start there instead of starting with traffic at the bottom because when you build raving fans like this, they are going to support you forever. They will buy your stuff even before they know what it is. They will defend you from trolls like their life depends on it. And they will spread the word of your brand and your message without you even asking for it. So you can get more traffic. You can get more exposure from the top down. So even if you have you know, only a hundred raving fans, those hundred raving fans are going to be the lifeblood of the growth and the expansion and the scale of your brand. So, you know, really we, I, I feel like a lot of focus has to be shift from just traffic to, well, how can we build raving fans in our brand? Preach it, brother, preach it. Folks, check <laughs> him out, uh, smartpassiveincome.com. He also has a very popular pad- podcast called Smart Passive Income. Pat Flynn, on behalf of all my listeners, thank you for sharing your insight and knowledge with us this week. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's episode. I know I did. You can check out the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 230. That stands for episode 230. And by the way, if you're new to this podcast, hit that subscribe button. We've got an incredible lineup of future shows coming. Social Media Marketing World. 
2017. Have you gotten your ticket yet? What are you waiting for? Go to socialmediaworld17.com and make the commitment. Come to this event. Take your marketing and your content creation to an entirely new level. Also, if you've been a regular listener to this show and you love the show, would you do me a favor? Tell me something that you discovered about this show, something that you enjoy about this particular episode by visiting socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes. I would love to read your reviews there. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I promise. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.